Welcome to Bob Into Buildings. I'm Bob Harrison. In this six-part series, I'll be visiting more buildings on the island that have a story to tell. The previous two series are still available on Manx Radio's website. Just look for Bob Into Buildings under podcasts. Tonight, we take a tour around The Grove in Ramsey with Matthew Richardson from Manx National Heritage, who I asked, when built, I should imagine this building was on the outskirts of Ramsey. It was, it was. Uh, some of records tell us that there were only three buildings north of the stone bridge in Ramsey at the time that the, gro- that the Gibb family came to the grove so it's you you have to imagine it in a, in a very different scenario than what we have today we're virtually surrounded by housing estates mostly from the 1960s now but going back to Victorian times the grove would have stood in splendid isolation you know with only f- fields surrounding it but that's what the Gibb family wanted wasn't that it? that is indeed what the Gibb that's what first drew them to the to the location, it was uh, a lovely rural um, idyll for them. But it was also the reason that the, the grove came into um, the ownership of Manx National Heritage because the the Gibbs sisters, as they as they they reached their, their latter years, were very concerned about the development of Ramsey. They'd seen the, the the large houses of some of their contemporaries swallowed up by the development that was going on in the 60s. The, these houses had been either been demolished or turned into flats, and they were concerned that this would happen to the grove. So that's that's why they were so keen that it would go into preservation and that's why we're kind of an oasis of 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 land in this sort of this northern part of ramsey now where we've been built all around there's been development on all four sides date of when it was built well it's difficult to say exactly when when the house was first built because the original building on this site uh, was a fisherman's or, or a sea captain's cottage called Poplar Grove. Um, we know that was certainly here when Duncan Gibb came on his visit in 1838. So you know you could you could speculate that the original house was probably mid to late 18th century in date. Uh, but the bulk of the work on the house that we see today was created in was done in the sort of four years or so after Duncan Gibb made that initial purchase. So it's a, it's a, it's a product of the early 1840s. Did he demolish the old No, no he didn't. He did he did uh he engaged a local architect or, or master builder and he did what uh, happened to quite a few Manx houses that they put a house around a house. So the the core of this house is that original stone built sea captain's cottage, but they they put an extra an extra story on that. Um, and they added a wing, a couple of wings, in fact, a little wing to the side. And the, but the major development was the frontage of the house to create this imposing visage that um, that the, the, the well-to-do visitors would would see as they approached up the drive. At present, it's rendered. Would yes. it have been rendered? Yeah, we think so. We, okay. we, we're quite. But the bit on the side is natural stone. The bit on the side, natural stone. That's what you see in the original cottage. That's ah. an original wall. This this frontage that you see today that's rendered. That is the um, the creation of Duncan Gibb. That when he, as I say, wanted to create this. Imposing Posing visage that his his noble friends or his well-to-do friends coming up the drive in their carriages would see. Lovely chimney pots. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, a, a little bit of a uh, um, they, they're nice to look at, not so not so nice to care for. We, we've um, we've had a lot of problems with the 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 the, uh, the, the upkeep of the grove really over the years, mainly caused by the fact of this this sort of. Um, tacking of one building onto another where you get an old building meeting an even older building that's um, a recipe for water ingress and and the chimney pots have proved to be one of the biggest sources Mm. of that but they still look good they do they do yeah they make this they make the scene yes we've just come in the front door which has got a nice visage which was over like parkland i should imagine Mm. out Mm. there Mm. it's not 
a grand vestibule. It's it's a modest. It's, we, we we refer to it as a as a country mansion. It's not it's not a stately home on on the scale that you might see in the UK. It's a, it's a country mansion for a, a well-to-do business family who wanted to escape from the city. Uh, they had a grand house in Liverpool. Um, but for the attraction of the Grove was the pure Manx air. Don't forget that in the 1840s, Liverpool was rife with cholera and all sorts of other diseases. Cities were much dirtier places than they are today. The smoke coming out of the factory chimneys would have caused lung problems. So the attraction to them was to have a nice place in the country where the, the, the Gibb family and the children could come in the summer safe from the diseases of Liverpool. They didn't need a, a massive residence. Did they employ staff here? They or did. did they, they did bring their own. Um, we think they employed all local Manx people from what we can gather. Um, in from the various census uh, re uh, returns that we have for the Grove, we see um, a number of uh, staff living in the house. Uh, that's probably not a fair reflection of the full range of staff because they would have had servants that didn't live in as well. Um, and it's, it's interesting to see how those numbers fluctuate um, over the years. And as the as the family so as the family fortune sort of dwindled in the later years, that number drops down to eventually sort of one one maid stroke cook living in the house. I think at one stage there was a 17 year old. 19 yes. on the staff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they would have had so. I mean, any um, any medium to large estate would have required servants. It, it was the way of the, Vic the Victorian country house worked. It couldn't have operated, you know, any other way. There would be no other way of performing the many menial tasks, cleaning out the fires, lighting the fires in the morning, or maintaining the, the gardens, which, which of course, would have been one, one man's full-time work, basically, looking after these gardens. As we have just come through the front door, what are your feelings? Um, I've, I've come to regard the Grove as kind of like an old friend. Um, I've, I've been the curator here since I first came to the Isle of Man in 2001. Um, of course, I knew, I knew absolutely nothing about the Grove at all. So it's been a long uh, learning curve, and, uh, and I've, I've enjoyed finding out about the, the and following the history of the family, you know, through their ups and downs, and particularly, I'm particularly interested in the lives of the, the Gibbs sisters who left the house to Manx National Heritage, you know, reading up on their experiences as young women in the First World War, fascinating stuff. And even after all these years, I still find out new little bit snippets of information. You know, every year I'll perhaps find another little detail. Um, so I, I've, I've enjoyed the journey that I've been on, you know, with the Grove, learning more about it. It's quite close history, isn't it? It's like history you can touch. It is. It's, per it's very personal. And I like the fact that we have um, such a strong family association with the, with the Grove and that we draw that out. When, when the house first opened, it followed the model perhaps that was common in the early 70s in the UK that this, the Victorians did this, the Victorians did that. So it was kind of presented in a, a sort of generic way um, as it represented a particular style of living from that period that was found in many other places. We've tried, uh, certainly since I've been curator here, to reintroduce the family um, and bring that personal level of detail back to the place and I think that's a crucial element in it because it's only when you study and understand the lives of the people that lived here that you start to get a feel for how and why the Grove is the way it is. I get the impression reading and being looking around this house that Gibb himself wasn't a traditional Victorian man. He, he was born um, in the 18th century so really he was more of a product as well of that sort of buccaneering spirit you know that um the, the sort of trading explosion that occurred in and around the napoleonic wars he was uh, you know the opening up of the colonies uh, and the trade with the, the colonies and the, the the early years of the empire he he was a pro sort of product of that era 
rather than maybe this more, more archetypal, stereotypical Victorian. What was his trade? He was a shipping shipping owner. Okay. Uh, he had his own shipping company. Uh, he, he, he arrived in Liverpool at a time when it was booming. There was great prosperity. Um, you know, Liverpool was the great port that traded with the, the, the burgeoning British Empire. And he was able to cash in on that. He was, like many, many people at that time, he was a Scot who'd gone to Liverpool to make his fortune, as many of them did. And there was a fortune to be made. You know, he's, he's building ships at one stage, adding two a year to his fleet you know uh, that's that's a sign of somebody who's really really prospering and it didn't cost him anything to come here then he, he came here with a professional interest because the point of air lighthouse had just been opened which was uh, something that ship owners and ship captains have been asking for for a long time so it was a real boon to navigation and he came um, for the professional interest in this and ha went to have a look at this lighthouse and it was so the story goes on the way back in his carriage that he passed this little cottage and the, the very funny story that the Gibb sisters have uh, passed down to us in their recordings was that he he wanted to see how the aborigines lived um, that's the very word that's their that's their words he wanted to know how a manx aborigine lived so he called into this cottage which was for sale um, and the spur of the moment decided to buy it we've come in the best room, as we said we've turned left and we're in the dining room we're in the yes. dining room yes yes we're very fortunate that when we acquired the grove all of the original furniture paintings curtains sofa everything was here so all we've had to do really is filter it a little bit um, to, to, rec to recreate the scene as it might have appeared, you know, sort of um, uh, 1860 or maybe a little bit later. Um, so, yeah, everything that you see in the Grove is original. To put it in a nice way, the, the Gibbs sisters were hoarders, real hoarders. They never threw anything away, which was to our benefit because we, in, when we acquired the house and all its contents, we had this treasure trove of material, but we had to filter it because... They were literally living in one room. They'd filled the upstairs. They'd filled this room. They'd retreated to the drawing room, which was the last sort of room they hadn't filled. Um, so the job of, the, of my predecessors in the 1970s was to put into storage the excess items that we couldn't display and present it um, in a in, present. The, the the rooms in a in a way that represented them as they would have appeared at their in their heyday. The you get used to going round houses across, and all the furniture is is all the same. But mm. this isn't, is it? No, There's not quite at a all. few different it's, styles. Uh, yeah, I mean everything uh, here has an individual story, and we are. The, the provenance of some of the items is really interesting. You know, we, uh, when the Gibbs eventually sold their Liverpool property, when, they, when Duncan Gibb retired, he moved to the Isle of Man permanently. Um, they had a sale catalogue, um, and some of the items were listed as being at that Liverpool property. Um, they obviously didn't sell, or they changed their minds about selling them. Um, so we know that, um, that, that these these have been in the family possession for a long time um, and that so it kind of explains the, the range of style because as of, as you know things get passed down through a family things from different generations become mixed but yeah virtually everything in this room um, ha has a bit of a story to it the clock in the next room is a wedding present for the for Duncan Gibb uh, or you know bits of furniture or in particular styles so it's um yeah, yeah the more you the more you delve the more you find out you said the ladies were hoarders mm, mm. and Duncan as well possibly mm, mm. As far as he's concerned, was he a good hoarder? Did he get valuable stuff? Well, Have you been surprised by yeah, something that well, is... Oh, goodness me. I wouldn't say there's anything that's, that's really, um, you know, absolutely in, off the scale valuable, but it, clearly you can see by the quality of, of this mahogany furniture, um, the, the, the oil paintings on the wall. These, these were a family of substance. You know, they could afford uh, the, the best 
that was available to a family of their status. So yes, it's all it's all very high quality. Walking then a bit farther in, we'll go to the right hand side as we come through the vestibule. As we said, nice wallpaper. Mm. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it is a vestibule, but as I said earlier, it's not ostentatious. No, no, no. It's a it's a modest house, modest mansion that uh, you know a family might have had of this of this status might have had as their second home now this is the withdrawing room that's, isn't it that's, they, that's they the original definite yeah. origin of the name yeah it's where the ladies would withdraw after after evening meal and leave the men in the dining room to talk about business or whatever Smoke and, and yes that's right stories. yes and the ladies would come into the drawing room to practice their embroidery needlecraft all the more finer more refined things that, that ladies of that uh, that vintage did this room had been heavily modernized but we have the advantage that there's a fantastic photograph probably about 1880 which shows this very room and shows in great detail the, the style of wallpaper the layout the pictures the layout of the furniture so although this room had been modernized because this was the room that the Gibbs sisters were living in in the 1970s uh, we had this really good template that enabled us to recreate what it would have looked like in in, uh, in the era when they were children. I see at the corner of musical instrument there's a banjolele or whatever yeah, it is on yeah, the set. Yeah. Were they musical family? Yeah, of course they were. Yeah, definitely. Every, every family, they, to coin a phrase, they made their own entertainment. You know, this is what we have. We're so used to flicking on the television. Um, it's perhaps difficult for people today to to fully appreciate what it was like for families in those days and gathering around the piano for uh, um, either uh, uh, hymns religious songs or perhaps less formal songs you know on a, on, a, on a family occasion a party but they would the fam one member of the family would be able to play the piano young girls of this uh, social class would be expected to learn uh, so somebody in the family would play the piano and all the rest would gather around to sing um, community singing, that's what it was called, and um, this was how they made their own entertainment. The conservatory on the side, is that a modern addition? It's not, it's a modern conservatory, but replaced one that stood on that site. Uh, oh. Yeah, unfortunately that was one of the parts of the house that had succumbed, uh, as, as wooden conservatories often do, you know, succumbed to the elements, but we've, we've faithfully created, we created it as faithfully as we can on the footprint of the existing So room. were the ladies themselves gardeners? Oh, very keen gardeners. Very oh keen, yeah. Right. We've, we have, we're very fortunate that we have the, the massive archive that accompanied the property. They, as well as hoarding three-dimensional objects, they kept every piece of paper, every scrap, every bill. So we know we've got, we've, we've got receipts for the seeds that they bought, uh, so we know what they were planting. Uh, we, although they had a full-time gardener, they were very hands-on with the garden themselves. In recent years, has fed into um, Philip, our garden manager's uh, redevelopment of the gardens. In recent years, we've, we've we, we spent a lot of the first few decades focusing on the house. And in, in more recent times, we've turned our attention back to the garden, where we're trying to restore the garden back to how it might have appeared in the Gibbs day. And we have these detailed records that help us to understand how it looked, what was growing, how the borders would have been managed, all that kind of thing. Having stepped through into the kitchen, this is a little bit darker, isn't it? Yes, a, li a little. You get, you get a great deal of contrast between the, the, the family rooms, uh, lavishly decorated, lovely furniture. Back Now here we're back in the back room. It's a very much an upstairs, downstairs story. You're in the working part of the house, the domain of the cook and the servants. Much more sparse, much more spartan. No luxury here. No, uh, you know, the furniture all very utilitarian, um, purely functional. Um, 
So yeah, it's, it's a real contrast between the two, the two sides of the house. A wonderful range. Yes, of course, this would be um, kept going day and night, summer and winter. Um, it wasn't just for cooking, it was for providing hot water for the family. There would be no running hot water in those days. Any hot water that the family required for bathing, for washing, would be provided uh, from the range in the kitchen. So it would be one of the servants' job first thing in the morning to get that uh, hot water on the range ready so that when the ladies of the house awoke they'd have nice warm water for their bath or their wash. It's a very busy kitchen isn't yeah, it? Yeah it would be yes um, of course outside here we've got the scullery so with no labour saving gadgets no none of your dishwashers washing machines any of that everything that had to be done cleaning plates cleaning clothes uh, there's, a, there's a drying rack over there where clothes would be hung up in front of the range to dry uh, another another drying rack here again for the same purpose. In your imagination, can you imagine this as a working kitchen? Indeed, yes. I can imagine the cook, you know, sort of telling the the, the young servant girls. <laughs> and of course, behind us we've got the bells, um, and I can imagine the bells from up, you know a bell ringing, and oh, uh, the lady, well, you've got upstairs, can you go, go see what's required, a cup of tea or whatever, you know, back down here to fetch it, back up the stairs again. The economics were so different in, in Victoria. You know, labour was cheap. Uh, unskilled labour was so cheap that a family like this could afford to to run a house with um, a cook, two servants, a gardener, some extra staff coming in. As, as the economy changed, as we go through the 20th century, wages rose, it became very difficult to run a house like this. And this is something that the Gibbs uh, actually acknowledge in their, their, tape, their tape recordings, it became harder and harder to, to run as the number of servants dwindled. You know, it became more and more difficult. And this is what happened to, to well-to-do families and stately homes across the British Isles through, through the 20th century. Double back on the stairs to yes. show some heights that we've got here. But now, this is the master bedroom? Yes, this is the main bedroom, which would have been occupied by the, um, the head of the family in turn, uh, by each one as, as, uh, in turn as, as they passed on. It originally began as Duncan Gibbs' bedroom, but passed through different members of the family through different generations. And it was finally used by Janet Gibb, until her death in 1974. It's not a bad little room. Sometimes you get the, the impression that the Victorians were very dull and very dark mm, and mm, things like this. Yeah, but once dull. again, we've got a very bright wallpaper here. Yes, yes. And um, bright furnishings on the bed. So yeah, yeah. a nice airy yeah. room. Yes, yes. Yes, you, you don't get the full impression of it because we have to be so cautious with the amount of light that we can allow because um, we're trying to preserve things at, you know, in situ, in, in Victorian times, of course, everything would be new, you know, your new clothes every year, new bed clothes, maybe new wallpaper every few years. So they would be quite happy to throw open the blinds, let the sun, sunlight stream in, you know, so this would be an even much brighter room than, than we're seeing it today. And I notice chamber pots over mm -hmm. there and yes. Some, yes. some animals given its life up to be yeah, yeah, a lot of things that we wouldn't see in a, in a, in a main bedroom in a house today. Um, we'd be quite surprised to see an animal skin on the floor. But of course, the family had links to India. Um, some members of the, fa what, uh, the wider family were in the army in India. Um, so it would be not uncommon to shoot um, game, you know, on a hunt. And it was equally common to have the skins prepared and used as rugs in the house. So that would be a common sight. Likewise, the, the chamber pots, no running water, no flushing toilets, mm. um, but you've got the staff uh, to come and change the chamber pots every day. So not a problem for the family because uh, they don't have to deal with uh, the, yes. the, the results. <laughs> <laughs> How many bedrooms has this got? Well, we, did, don't, did it we don't see the whole... Um, we think there were... 
six bedrooms at Gosh. one point. But um, at the time the house was 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 taken um, over by Max National Heritage, there was a caretaker's flat incorporated into it at that time. So that accounts for uh, one of uh, one of the bedrooms. Okay, so let's move across the landing, pop into the room that's directly ahead of us, and we're into preserved dresses. Yeah, this is what we call the costume room, um, and a decision was taken at the time the Grove was acquired that we wouldn't set out every bedroom as it would have appeared in the Gibbs um, era. I, m I mentioned a while back that we acquired so much material that we had to take it into store and, and, and filter it out. We thought that the, um, the, the presenting this this bedroom as a traditional museum display with, with, with gallery ca uh, cases would allow us to rotate some of the costume that we've got um, through here so we get a chance to show things that might not ordinarily be seen. And this is what we, we do every five years or so. We'll have a redisplay and a selection of the dresses on display or other items will change and that will allow us to uh, show more of the Gibb collection. Quite racy this one, the tennis well, gear, yeah. isn't it? This is an Edwardian uh, dress that would have been worn by a lady for tennis. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a real thing of its time, very long skirt down to the ankles. Um, mm. It's quite hard to imagine running around chasing a, uh, you know, chasing a tennis ball wearing that. But um, but the the Gibbs did okay, all of this material is from the Gibbs collection. Uh, the, the 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 tennis racket, the tennis shoes, the tennis outfit. They were uh, in the, in their young days, very sociable young ladies. Um, they picnicked. They played tennis with the other well-to-do uh, children of the other well-to-do families in the north of Ramsey. Um, so this is uh, another facet of their their, their life as a young well-to-do woman um, growing up on the Isle of Man. But alongside it, we've got. A typical yeah, Victorian garb. Yeah, morn a morning dress. Um, the, the Victorians were very big on mourning. After uh, Prince Albert died, Queen Victoria went into mourning for about 20 years, 20 or 30 years. She wore nothing but black. You know, she had the black bordered notepaper. So mourning became very fashionable in Victorian times. Um, and it was quite common for a widow to wear black for many, many years, you know, probably the rest of her life after her husband had died if she didn't remarry. And of course, with life expectancy so short in those um, days, it was quite common for a woman to be a widow, you know, especially if her husband worked in a, in a manual job that a mine, miner, for example, he, he could quite well die prematurely. So it was not uncommon to see middle-aged women wearing black. To be truthful, the dress alongside of it, that's quite a trim little waist. Yes, again, that's that's a, um, an early Victorian um, fashion, uh, the fashion for the narrow waist, um, and they would they would they would have these whalebone corsets that they would tighten, they would pull them in so so much that they actually damaged the ribs, you know, and the and young women uh, collapsed with what, the vapors, which was uh, shortness of breath because the corsets were so tight that they couldn't breathe. So we're fortunate that we've got quite a range of costume because several generations lived at the house and none of them threw anything away. Uh, we've got dresses that go back to the late 18th century coming forward, uh, as you see with the, 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 the tennis dress, and even the dresses behind you, which are 1940s, coming right through into the 20th century. So there's a uh, hundred and some odd years range of costume and fashion that we've got here. So it's, it's a rich theme to draw on. Must be a joy to be the curator of a place like this, especially with a family who threw nothing away. Yeah, as I say, uh, it's been, a lot, been an interesting journey for me over the um, almost 20 years that I've been associated with the Grove. And I, I still 
I still get enjoyment from uh, finding things I didn't know, piecing things together, and we're we're always trying as well to develop the growth. Although it's 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 slightly different from most museums where you know you want to regularly be refreshing things uh, to keep it interesting. With the Grove, we're trying to preserve it. Um, in aspect in a way so our options are limited but there are still ways that we can um, change things around uh, refresh things a little bit and a couple of years ago we um, we just we decided to redisplay one of the bedrooms which we thought had been a servant's uh, bedroom that had been presented as a more formal museum uh, room much like this one with glass display cases we took the glass display cases out and represented it as it would have appeared when the servant lived there so that that gave us an interesting new slant on on life at the grove one highlight for you from the whole of the building the dining room is so complete and so original with the 1840s wallpaper on the wall uh, and the original furniture in it i just think that that's that that, that would be hard would you'd be hard pushed to find a home of this size anywhere else in the British Isles that had so much original material. On Bob into Buildings tonight, I've been talking to Matthew Richardson from the M&H about the Grove in Ramsey. You can listen again to tonight's programme and programmes from the first two series as podcasts at magsradio.com. I'll be back next week at the same time for another featured building in this third series of Bob into Buildings. I'm Bob Harrison. Good evening.